Today, I have with me Dr. Nathan Painter. He is a clinical professor of pharmacy at the University of California, San Diego, Skagg School of Pharmacy. Even though Nathan and I both worked at UC San Diego, it wasn't until I attended a meeting at the Prescription Drug Abuse Task Force in San Diego that our paths actually crossed. Nathan is very involved with that group and they do a lot of work around drug abuse community education, education for health professionals, different initiatives that work toward decreasing the harms associated with the misuse of prescription drugs. And they do that in San Diego County. For those of you listening in other counties or other states, I suggest that you go take a look at their website and see some of the things that they've worked on because they're doing some great things. So welcome, Nathan. Thank you very much. Thanks, thanks for having me. Let's start off by having you give us a bit of an inside look at the San Diego Prescription Drug Abuse Task Force and some of their past accomplishments, things that you feel kind of express what the task force is all about. Yeah, the task force has been around for, oh gosh, about almost 10 years now, it feels like, um, and has um, re really been able to develop some things that have um, that were that we're pretty proud of. I think the first major accomplishment that happened um, that really kind of put us, um, you know, on the proverbial map was uh, one of our uh, one of the leaders of the um, executive committee um, and the medical community, who's a ER physician um, at one of our local hospitals, developed the protocols and kind of these guidelines for how to prescribe opioids in the emergency department. Um, and really focusing on limiting quantities, um, doing better assessments, um, and um, uh, screening people for abuse potential. And it pretty slowly but uh, surely spread to the Sandy, or the California Emergency Department uh, Society, which I don't remember the name of it right now, and at pretty much every hospital in San Diego County, and then many hospitals throughout the rest of the state. And so many adopted the guidelines, we're posting them, uh, we're giving them to the providers uh, and the staff to give to patients uh, so that everybody knew that this was the policy, this is how we were going to do it. Um, and it wasn't just about limiting opioids and limiting controlled substances, it's really implementing best practices of what we know um, when it comes to emergency department and pain and pain management and uh, abuse potential. And uh, really highlighting that, you know, if the patient is in pain, long-term needs to be treated by their primary care or their pain specialist, the emergency department is not into pain management. It's, it's there to treat emergencies. Um, and that really just helped us set that guideline. And, um, it, you know, five, six, seven years ago, and the guidelines are still strong and still being adopted and still being utilized today. Um, and many other states, um, with that example, have implemented uh, similar policies, either through legislation or regulation um, in their own states. So that's probably the, the, one of the, the big things that we've been proud of. I think the other thing is, um, like I said, we've been, I, I, I think it was 2003, uh, I always forget the, the year that we actually started, but again, about 10 years ago, um, uh, we, the, the group was started um, and with, I think, the emergency department uh, opioid prescribing guidelines coming out, it really highlighted that, you know, these type of groups were needed throughout the state. And there was some federal money involved, um, and the state 
utilize some of that money and some state money to um, as incentive and startup funds for different counties throughout the state to develop similar prescription drug abuse task force, you know, whatever they wanted to call it, but some group to uh, to address the issues when it comes to prescription drug abuse, when, you know, controlled substances or whatever, and um, use San Diego kind of as the benchmark. Uh, San Diego was included in um, a lot of the calls um, to, you know, for people asking questions about what, you know, what does this look like? What do you mean? How do we form this? And um, in fact, in fact, San Diego was not allowed to receive some of the grant because they were uh, at least the initial grant because we were already so well established and again being used as the template for what they were trying to spread across the state. So I think those are the, probably the two like big things. There's lots of little things that we're very proud of. Um, I, I will will say one more thing. The other big thing is um, is uh, educating our high school youth about the dangers of pain medications and their and, and their parents. Um, which ultimately led to a, a law in the state that requires um, notification to parents and athletes in high schools about the dangers of pain medications and specifically opioids um, related to sports. Because, you know, kids get injured, kids get hurt, they have to take, you know, can sometimes have to take pain medications and really dissuading uh, the um the kids and the parents from just going straight to opioids but using other things for their pain management in high school and again that actually ended up spreading to a dea national um campaign and that started right here in san diego hmm. is that law who who has to notify them is it the physicians when they come for treatment or the sports the teams so the the um the schools have to notify um there are certain other um, organizations i don't remember all the names that have to notify so basically as people are signing up once they make a team there has to be some notification before the sport actually starts they have to get you know a fairly standard piece of paper that says you know here's the risks of you know using these medications and therefore short term and you know use these you know use other methods for for addressing pain those kind of things that's great so welcome to the team in case you get hurt you be careful you don't want to yep. take these things that's yeah. pretty cool and it, it, it certainly i mean at that age it's certainly yeah. for the parents to you know to sure. have, have them ask questions and to have them you know bring up these issues with, with their physician in case you know it's not not been brought up before yeah because it's not something i mean you're going to trust the physician and of course they have an injury and they're in a lot of pain so it makes perfect sense why would you even question you know going to the opioids that's what your prescription is for right 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 so that's great that's cool and that um sheet that you said that you made for the ed what to expect for patients what to expect when they come to the emergency room mm -hmm. i worked in a independent hospital up in north county san diego and we used that i didn't realize that they were using it and being new to the hospital and kind of getting the lay in the land, I remember very distinctly at one point, one of the ER nurses, yeah, we have that piece of paper. Where are those papers? We yeah. need to give those out. We used to give those out all the time. Where are they? Yeah. And so yeah. they kind of re uh, got them back out and, and started distributing them again. So they definitely were distributed throughout the county. Yeah. All right. So how does the task force decide what initiatives they're going to work on? You know, that's a great question. I think that that's what one of the great successes of this task force is once a year, we break up into different groups and it, depending on what's going on, the groups are slightly different, but usually um, comprise of healthcare, uh, law enforcement, prevention and treatment. 
And basically these four, whoever identifies, you self-identify as what group you belong to, you gather together, there's a facilitator that the task force provides and we get down and you talk about what you want the initiatives to be for the next year. What trends are you seeing? What you know issues are you having um, in your sector? And you, we get together, we have these small groups, uh, and then once the, uh, the individual groups have had a chance to discuss and kind of flesh out some high priorities for that year, we meet as the bigger group and we go over them and we try to kind of nail down kind of the top, you know, three to five initiatives that we're going to try to address that year. And uh, so it's a great process. Uh, it, you know, it, that's where different ideas have come from that we've pursued that have, you know, turned turned into major uh, major events and major uh, major things that have that have been uh, uh, published or you know put out from the task force. Right, great, and that brings up a good point too. You have all of those groups represented. I mean, you do have law enforcement and prevention. I guess that'd be what pharmacists, physicians, perhaps. Yeah. Um, and then you've got your rehab facility people mm -hmm. that represent, and you've got all different, it, all you know types of people it's not yeah, just pharmacists exactly i mean again prevention specialists who are you know in schools and then there's treatment folks and there's people in recovery um there's law enforcement like you said from every sector police uh, uh sheriff dea um we've had other representatives from other you know other folks every once in a while we have folks from the military bases and from the veterans administration um, I'm pretty sure all the major hospitals we have somebody represented, and many of the other, the, you know, smaller hospitals. Again, the huge treatment facilities that have received federal and state funds to do, you know, these incredible programs to try to, um, you know, address treatment in different ways. Um, youth advocates, patient advocates, uh, parents of people who have been, you know, have died or been severely affected by their overdose and prescription drug abuse. Um, I mean, you name it, it seems like if, if they're touched by this epidemic, then you know, they're pretty much a member of the task force, which has been one of our successes from the beginning is that it truly has been a collaborative effort um, and the doors open and anybody who's interested can participate. Um, there's no, you know, you know, where, where do you belong or who are you or why are you doing this? And I've heard, unfortunately, I, you know, just like any other kind of group of people, um, not everybody plays well to, together in the sandbox. And I think a lot of others, a lot of other regions have not necessarily had the same success that we have. Um, but I think that uh, we were set up to, from the beginning for success because of that collaboration between the different sectors. Definitely, they all have something to bring to the table. I mean, it's a completely different perspective that you don't even realize is there until you hear from somebody else. So yeah, I think that's fantastic. Exactly. What uh, are you working on right now? So, you know, with the fentanyl crisis, we've really had to take, um, it's not really a left turn, but, um, you know, the whole country has done a pretty decent job with prescription drug abuse, like real prescription drug abuse, right? So the prescribing is down. Um, the number of pills out on out on the street are are significantly down. Um, so the healthcare industry has actually done a pretty good job of addressing um, the crisis. There's plenty of work to do, but it you know it has done it has made strides. So the transition a few years ago to other 
um, other stuff, right? So um, unfortunately, it seems like people are going to 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 use things, and so the you know prescription drugs weren't as accessible, so they switched to other things. So one of those things is fentanyl, where um, it's not the prescription or the the pharmaceutical grade fentanyl. This is illicitly made fentanyl in labs and warehouses. Um, a lot of it is coming up from Mexico. A lot of it's coming from China and India. But it's, you know, right now it's being made to look like prescriptions. And so if you buy uh, like an Oxycontin or hydrocodone on the street, it's probably made from fentanyl now. Um, because we have done such a good job of controlling the number of pills out on the street when it comes to real prescriptions, now they're being made illicitly. And so people are getting them from friends, they're buying them from from people, and they think they're getting one thing when they're when they're actually getting fentanyl. And the big thing about fentanyl, you know, is it's, as you as you know, it's just really, really potent. Um, so even a small amount, uh, if you're if you've never taken a an opioid like morphine or oxycodone or whatever, a small amount can kill you. Um, and because it's being made in, in warehouses and garages and backyards, it's, there's, you know, one pill can have zero fentanyl, another pill can have 10 milligrams, which can kill 20 people, you know, so it's just, um, it, it's just all over the place. And so um, that has leaned a little bit more towards prevention and law enforcement, just because of that nature. Um, it's very, you know, as a pharmacist or as a physician, we can continue to advocate that people don't take things if they don't know where it came from, um, but we're not out on the street trying to stop that from happening. So uh, we, we've actually kind of made that shift um, and a little bit more heavy on the law enforcement and not, again, not the arresting piece of it, but just where is it coming from, trying to stop that pipeline, um, you know, trying to get the word out to the San Diegans that, hey, th you're probably not getting what you think you're getting. Um, it's showing up in, in other illicit drugs, it's showing up in cocaine, it's showing up in methamphetamine, it's showing up in all these other things that people, you know, think they're getting, they think they're buying their drug of choice, and, and indeed it's actually not, it's, it's, uh, it's fentanyl. And so, um, you know, because of that, because of how it's made, we end up having these pockets of deaths um, where, you know, that supply, it reaches a couple of friends, they take it all together, and you know, three or four of them end up dying, and so that happens all too frequently, um, and which is a, a direct result of the, the again the fentanyl issue. Um, and again, it shows up in other things too. Every once in a while, you know, deaths will happen. The uh, they'll go in and try to investigate, and they'll realize, oh, it wasn't actually this; it was <laughs> fentanyl that killed this person. So, yeah, I guess I would imagine the message is maybe different for the recreational user, like don't do it versus it, yeah. one who is addicted and you know they need to get their stuff somewhere so that we have to address the addiction then right to keep yes them and absolutely and that's has been a, you know that's been an underlying thing for the last couple of years is really trying to get access to treatment up um, people aware of treatment to begin with i mean there's still many people who really don't even know that it exists <laughs> Um, or how to access it, um, how do you get into it, how, you know, can you just walk into a treatment center, what treatment centers are the best, right, so developing best practices um, and knowing where to go and who, who offers the services that have the research and the data to support um, um, their even existing, because unfortunately there are, you know, there are plenty of, just like anything, there's, there's things out there mm -hmm. that are just taking advantage of people, um, but most of it is, you know, 
is, is pretty solid and they have the evidence and what, you know, the research to back up the methods that they use. Sure, sure. Okay. Tell us a little bit about academic detailing. Does the task force do anything around that? Yeah, so um, actually almost a year ago now, uh, the San Diego County Medical Society received a grant um, to further increase um, provider, uh, physician, pharmacist, and nurse practitioner, and PA, so anybody who can prescribe, um, again, kind of reinforcing the opioids, um, benzodiazepines, um, and the fentanyl issue, and medical marijuana, and trying to address that kind of as a package um, to anybody who can prescribe medications or who are involved in prescription medications. Um, and uh, again, kind of re-upping re the education, because there's been a while since um, anybody's really focused on, at least through the task force, anybody's really done a major push for educating physicians. Because again, even though we've done a good job over the last few years, um, there, there's still plenty of room, there's still plenty of issues that we need to try to address. And so this is kind of another effort um, in addition to developing this kind of curriculum that is just to educate the, the, the broad community, um, academic detailing um, is going to be brought on board, hasn't started yet, to um, do more one-on-one -on -one sessions with physicians who might either have questions or who have ident been identified through various channels as maybe needing a little bit more education. And so it's a one-on-one -on -one approach. Um, you know, it's called academic detailing, right, because it's kind of a specific approach. But I think the core of it is it's a one-on-one -on -one sit down trying to figure out where the physician is, what the education that can be provided to help change. Uh, and it's all about change, you know? So, um, you know, we do a lot of behavioral change with patients, you know, what, are their, what is their motivation for certain things? How, what can we say to them? What information can we provide to them to change their behavior? This is kind of the same thing. How do we get them to, um, in this case, prescribe uh, more appropriately? Like what we'll follow the guidelines, you know, do they even know what the guidelines are for prescribing certain medications? what things to avoid and what they should be assessing in their patients to find out if what they're doing is safe and effective. And how do you, is it, if it's a facility that's in your task force and they get the training on that, then they go back and they do it? Or do you guys focus on, for example, I remember a few years ago looking at cures when I was looking for a patient uh, prescribing thing and saw a physician that you know had what we call the holy trinity right is benzos the opioid the soma it's like ah oh my gosh to the same patient so he would be one you would want to target but do you get names that way and go and do the detailing or is it more the facility and the person who's kind of working in that facility takes that to their people you know i actually haven't learned all those details yet but my understanding is that um, through our partners, through the, through the San Diego Medical Society, they kind of already have partners. So it, it probably will be more the institution asking us to come in and maybe to identify and not to target certain physicians, but maybe a certain group of physicians so that, you know, it doesn't look like the people are being yeah. penalized or, you know, right. single, single that, those, that kind of thing. So, um, so I'm still learning more about that every day. Um, we, have just finished the curriculum. And so, you know, taking the, the next step with the academic detailing is gonna be coming up in the next probably more like three to six months. Uh, so it's not quite ready for prime time. Uh, we still have to be trained, you know, for, even though we developed the curriculum, we've been doing this for years, we still have to be trained on the process because again, it is kind of a process to, to what um, the academic detailing is. 
Sure, that makes sense. Okay. And are you doing anything around safe disposal? Yeah, so um, safe disposal has been a major issue for this last couple of years. We, uh, San Diego has done a survey every two years, just kind of gauging in the community what they know, what they're doing for, as far as drug disposal and what we, um, and where they're hearing about it. And so uh, the good news is um, some people <laughs> are doing the right thing. Um, the bad news is, is there's still a lot of people that um, are improperly disposing of medications or aren't doing anything. Um, and so um, we continue to try to get the word out. Uh, media is a huge way that people have said that they've heard about how to do drug disposal. And that usually surrounds the semi-annual take back day that the DEA sponsors. That's usually in April and October of every year. Um, but just getting the word out of the year round take backs is there's places all over San Diego and all over California um, in either pharmacies or um, county administration type buildings, um, sheriff, police departments, all these different um, sources of places where you can take unused medications back to get them, you know, out of the hand, out of, you know, just get them out of the way. Um, you know, because we live in a, an area where there's such good access, it is not recommended to throw away or to flush down the toilet any medications whatsoever. Um, it's always recommended to use these take back disposal methods because it's just better for the environment and keeps things, you know, out of out of the, the water supply, out of the sewer, out of, um, you know, sleeping into the ground. Um, and, it's, you know, so, you know, people hear about flushing and, and throwing down the trash. And that's really, honestly, that's, that's really just reserved for places where there are where there are no where there are no options, um, and so um, the DEA has a website. If you if you go to D if you Google DEA drug take back, it will take you to a website where you can put in your zip code and find the closest uh, either year round take back site or um, one of the DEA take back days in October and April, um, and it tell you exactly where you take your medications to dispose of them. And I don't know the answer to this question with them being a federal agency. Is that the same? Do they have those take back days? Do you know outside of California, like in every state, same day everywhere? Yes. So that okay. became a national. And, and I guess I didn't mention this earlier, but the, the DA take backs also started in San Diego. Oh, my gosh. Um, so it okay. actually started in San Diego with with the with the um, who at the time was one of the chairs who was the chair of the prescription drug abuse task force. Mm -hmm. And he was a DEA agent mm -hmm. um, and it was kind of his idea. He started it and DEA heard about it and said, let's do this. And so it became um, a national uh, a national event and then became a you know twice a year event. Um, and it is all over the country. Interesting. Uh, was, you know, was that Tom? Tom Lennox, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Interesting. I didn't realize that. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. For someone listening out there that may not be, they don't have anything like this in their county and they'd like to start something, do you have any words of wisdom for them and how to, any suggestions on how to maybe get started? I think there's, um, you know, there, there's there's many ways to do this. Um, I think one would be go to your county's health and human services or whatever, whatever you call it and find out if there's anything that already exists that, that's like this, even if it's a small committee that the, that's, that's at the county um, or if they have heard of other members that might be interested. Another way to go would be, you know, through different local health associations. So your local physicians group, your local pharmacist group, your local, you know, whatever group, and find out if there's interest um, within those different within those communities. Um, 
And then um, so many different areas have, again, prevention specialists that are already meeting. So find out if they have a kind of a gathering or a group of people and, and, and get involved with, with what they're doing as far as educating you know, young people um, and preventing uh, prescription drug abuse and, and really just drugs of abuse in general. Um, and I think finally, uh, you know, there's a, uh, an overdose awareness day, there's a prescription drug abuse awareness type day in many different places. And so utilizing that and going to your local politicians, board of supervisors, um, city council, um, and asking, specifically asking them um, it, it, uh, to, to, to do something about it, create a group, create a, a committee, create a task force. Um, that can be supported by the um, by the by the local government um, to, to you know to do some of these things to get people together. Um, you know, I I don't you know legislation isn't necessarily always the answer. Uh, you know, I think many people know that um, it really should be a grassroots. But sometimes if you just get a little extra support behind you, sure. then, then that might get get the ball rolling. Sure. Great. Okay. All of that sounds fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Nathan, for spending the time with me today. Thank you very much. All right.